for the worship team who has led us so well in those uh, great songs. I feel like I don't have to preach this morning because all those songs have nicely conveyed what we are about uh, to celebrate this um, Christmas morning. But allow me a few uh, minutes ahead of us to discuss why Jesus came uh, to the world. There's a guy called Mark Twain who once wrote this sentence, and I do not know whether you have heard it. The two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. The two most important days in your life are the days that you are born and the day you find out why you are born. And obviously, that is the question that we have to ask Jesus, why he was actually born in this world. We know who he is. He's the son of God, living word incarnate, the great I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the king of kings, and Lord of Lords. We know where he came. He came to a specific place on the map, to Bethlehem. To be precise, not in a birthing suite or in a maternity ward, but in a lower level of a crowded house where some of the animals have been brought in for the night. Certainly not a proper place fitting for a king, let alone the king of kings. We know when he came. He came in the fullness of time, that is in the year Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census be taken of the known world, a fact that has been noted by the historian, secular historians. We know how he came. He came through a virgin conception, conceived by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary, a virgin. But what we want to reflect on, perhaps, is more important than the question of where and when and how, and that is why. Why did Jesus come to the world? And just three quick subheadings that we want to reflect on this morning. The reason why Jesus should not come, the reason why Jesus did come, and our fitting response to that. So let's look at the first one, the reason why Jesus shouldn't come. And the answer is simple, because the world as the created order has rebelled against God. You and I have rebelled against Him. And therefore, we would reject Jesus if He comes to the world. And isn't it what we read in the prologue of John's Gospel? He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him, John 1, 11. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness. You and I love darkness, and therefore we do not like our dark scenes are exposed by the light. We do not like our evil deeds 
are exposed by the coming of Jesus. The world is filled with sinful people, and these sinful people, in fact, are more intentionally and frequently committing their sins, particularly during Christmas. Let me read you some statistics. According to the Australian Crime Statistics and Police uh, Data, there is significant increase in crime rate during Christmas. Have you locked your doors this morning? That included attempted murder, violence-related and alcohol-induced assaults, motor vehicle theft, home robberies. Why do you think Home Alone is so popular? That movie, by the way, uh, now I think it's in the fifth sequel or something. The banking app that I use on my phone reminded me that cyber criminals are more active during Christmas time. Fake online shopping websites, fake parcel delivery message, electronic card um, um, scams. There are, there's also a sharp increase around 110% in domestic and family, family violence incidents during Christmas because everyone is stressful. There's a lot of family expectations and pressure. There's financial demand. There's just an increase in family and domestic violence. The number of emergency calls during Christmas skyrocketed, creating undue stress for our emergency responders. In fact, friends, do you know that there is a genocide that is currently going on? It has been happening for the last few weeks and months in Palestine. And if you have followed the news, in fact, this morning it was announced again that Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem. The next slide, you can see a snapshot of a church uh, in Bethlehem. Do you know that Bethlehem is actually just 80 kilometers from Gaza, not very far from where the Israeli forces have sought out Hamas militants in Israel on 7 of October until this very day. Now, Christmas is traditionally a peak time for tourists and pilgrims in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a tiny city. You see, there are only about 30,000 people. But during Christmas, the whole city is jammed with more than 3 million visitors coming from all over the world. They are keen to visit the place where Jesus is said to have been born. But this year, the roads are empty. The shops shut, and the manger square, the city center, CBD, Bethlehem, is entirely shut and eerily quiet. If you follow the news, there have been horrific images of children being pulled out from under the rubble in the last few months. Now, to such a world filled with evil, hate, violence, brokenness, sin, and death, why would Jesus come and save us? Because we are adorable? Because we are morally good and superior, perhaps, than other people? That's what we like to think, that Jesus had to come because we are deserving to be saved. 
And that's how we understand John 3.16. For example, let's uh, look at the verse on, on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We think that God must love us because it is his job. It is part of his job description as God to save humans. And especially God has to save me because I'm nice. I'm adorable. I'm a pretty decent person most of the time. And of course, God will save me. That's what we like to think. There's nothing in me that is not to love, is there? Now, think of a Christian couple, right, who uh, is in love. Maybe it resonates with some of you, married or single couples. Let's call them Joe and Jenny. One day, out of the blue, while walking in the city, Joe said to Jenny, Jenny, I love you. Indeed, I do love you. Now, what does that mean when Joe said that to Jenny? There are two options, right? The first option, were Joe a more of a, a romantic type, he would elaborate that a bit, right? He would say something like this, Jenny, I love you. I've loved you with my belly. I would say heart, but my belly is bigger, and that's why I love you with my belly. The sparkle in your eye, the smell of your hair, the smile on your face, they make me awake at night because the reality with you is better than my best dreams. You are smart and funny, always making me laugh. You are like a Bible verse because I cannot stop memorizing you. Is that what he meant when he said, I love you? Oh, the second option. Jenny, if I can be completely honest with you, you are a classic vanilla girl, consistent yet completely unexciting. You don't have any sense of humor. But when you're angry, you remind me of Adolf Hitler. Your bad breath could stop a herd of angry elephants, and you are self-righteous, you are narcissistic, and I love you. Now, which one, which option do you think is more likely, is closer to what um, Joe was saying to Jenny? Surely, what Joe uh, is likely to mean was the, is the first option. He loves Jenny because Jenny is lovable, adorable. What about God and us? When John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, and the word love is used 57 times in this gospel, and the word world seven, eight times. What is God saying to the world when he said, for God so loved the world? Is he saying, world, your superior morality, your adorable personality, your wise perspective, your remarkable talents, and did I say you are adorable? I so love you, I cannot imagine heaven without you. Is that what God really said when he said, God so loved the world? The answer is no. When God said, I love you, he's not declaring to the universe that you and I are lovable and adorable, despite what psychologists tell you today. God loves you, you must be adorable and lovable. But that's not what the Bible says. The world, in John 3.16, refers more to badness rather than bigness wrote Professor Don Carson. The world means not a big place with a lot of people in it, but to a bad place with a lot of bad people in it. When the Bible said, God so loved the world, this broken and fallen world, it is as if God is saying to us, 
you are morally bankrupt people. You are spiritually bankrupt people. You are totally ungrateful, selfish, rebellious people. You ditch me, and then you make career, money, status, achievements your God. You live for yourself and treat me like a personal assistant. And you know what? I love you anyway. Not because you are so lovable, but because I am that kind of God. I love you because I am a God of love. The reason Jesus should not come is because you and I are sinful people who deserve to be left alone in our chosen path to brokenness and destruction. Yet, God loves us. God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. That's what C.S. Lewis wrote. The second point, what then is the reason why Jesus came? If you have been here with us at ICC since April this year, you know that we are going through a, an expository sermon series from the Gospel of John. And in that Gospel, the Apostle John and Jesus himself made very clear why he came. There's a lot of statements uh, to explain the reason why Jesus came, but a lot of them are secondary reasons. Let me mention a few, these secondary reasons that Jesus mentioned. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The second secondary reason Jesus came to give abundant life, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to show us how to live. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. There are so many secondary reasons, but what is the primary, most important, the quintessential reason why Jesus came? And the answer is to save and judge the world at the same time. Now, that may sound completely the opposite, right? Did Jesus come to save the world or to judge the world? On the one hand, Jesus said, I judge no one, John 8, 15. But on the other hand, he said, I have the authority to execute judgment because I'm the son of man, John 5, 27. So how can he judge and love the world at the same time? I think that's something that we want to uh, look at, saving and judging in, in these uh, verses. And I think there are two different ways to look at this so that we can understand these two seemingly contradictory passages throughout the uh, um, Gospel of John. The first lens that we're going to use on the next slide, Jesus refers to to the two redemptive historic, historical eras. So in John 12, 47a, he was referring to the first advent, Christmas, during which he did not come to accomplish the work of judgment, but the work of salvation. But in verse 48b of John 12, you will see that he referred to the last day, the second advent, the day on which he will execute judgment. And that's why you see the verbs are in the present tense in verse 47 and in 48 the verb is in future tense because it says there that uh, he will, right? He will. Now the second, uh, so to sum up that point, Jesus will judge the world 
at his second coming. But at his first coming, what we are celebrating today, at Christmas in Bethlehem, he came to save the world. And that's why he is called Jesus. Do you know the name Jesus, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, he was given two very specific instructions. First, take Mary as your wife. Secondly, he should give the baby the name Jesus. Can't name him John or Joe or Jack. Jesus should be the name because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, from the word Joshua, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the name of God in the Old Testament, the I am, the great I am. So essentially, when Jesus came in his first advent, at Christmas, he came to save us. But then later, when he comes again, he will come to judge us. The second lens that we should see on the next slide, Jesus refers to purpose and effect of his coming. The real purpose of the coming of Jesus is to save those who believe, but the net effect to those who do not believe is that they will be judged See, the word that Jesus said that reflects his Father's will is like a two-edged uh, sword, putting people in two different camps, those who believe and those who reject. When Jesus came, his presence and his work and his words, they polarize people. Friends, if you are in this room today, whether you are in the lower uh, floor, in the mezzanine level, we will be divided into two camps this morning. Those of you who choose to believe and those of you who choose to reject Jesus. In John's Gospel, those who believe included the disciples, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the lame and the blind man that were healed, and many others. And there are those who rejected Jesus, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. Now, which one are you? John 9:39 is another relevant text where Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see become blind. Jesus came to the world to bring everything into clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, that those who have never seen will see, and those who have seen, publicly saying that they can see, will be actually exposed as blind. And here is what it means, friends. Those who have been spiritually blind, but choose to believe in Christ this morning, you will have spiritual insight. But those who have claimed to have spiritual insight will be seen to be what you actually are spiritually blind. See, the emergence of these two camps, two groups, is a judgment that puts us in either one of the two categories. And these two categories will continue to persist until the last day of judgment when Jesus returns. There will be the saved and the lost, the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the wicked. Which group do you belong to this morning? And that depends on how you would respond to Jesus' initiative to come and save you or more precisely, it depends on the grace of God that enables you 
to respond to his call this morning. And that brings me to my last point, our, respond, uh, our response to the calling of Jesus. See, friends, uh, Jesus came to save us at Christmas, but the irony is we rejected him. I told you earlier that Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem today, and that speaks volume about sinners rejecting the coming of their saviors. But you know what's interesting? Isn't that something that also happened in the first Christmas in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? There's a parallel here between what's happening there today and what's happening there 2,000 years ago. When a, a young teenage couple from Nazareth was forced by the Roman Empire to evacuate from the north of Palestine to the south of Bethlehem. Why? There's a mad king called Herod the Great ordered the massacre of the children under two years of age in the Bethlehem area. And today there were, or there have been 8,000 children murdered in Gaza in the last five weeks or so. This is a picture of what a pastor in uh, Palestine called Munter Isaac uh, put together a, a manger scene depicting baby Jesus surrounded by rubble and concrete to show that Jesus is in solidarity with those who suffered. Jesus is with us in our pain. And this is what he said, Pastor Isaac. If Christ were to be born today, he would be born under the rubble. And all we want this Christmas is a com comprehensive ceasefire for the wars to stop. But you know what? That actually would occur at the second coming of Jesus when he came to judge the world and renew the world, where everything said will come untrue. And it's not only ceasefire, it's not only the absence of hostility, but true peace on earth, what the Bible calls shalom. Shalom is not merely being in the right relationship with other people or other nations, but shalom is enjoying those relationships. That's what we're going to have in Christ Jesus. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Peace on earth. Isn't that what the angel with a multitude of the heavenly hosts said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The last slide. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But you're saying, where is that peace? It has been 2,000 years since we have been waiting for that peace to actually materialize. We are still weeping. You know what? This, this, this promise that the angel said to the shepherds has actually had two directions, right? The first one, it points back to a promise that God made centuries, thousands of years ago when he said to Abraham that he would save the nations through the descendants of Abraham, and that has been fulfilled through the birth of Jesus. But it took so long. It took thousands of years for that promise 
to be fulfilled in the birth of Christ. But that's not all. That promise on earth peace also points forward to a future, to a promise that has not been fulfilled yet. Because the first coming of the Lord points to the second coming of the Lord, the day in which there will be real peace on earth. Christmas points to the promise that someday the Lord will come back and violence will be no more. Cancer will be no more. Wars will be no more. And every single tear that we have will be wiped away. Christmas is a definitive statement from heaven that the Son of God comes to the world to save you, to save me. Now, some of you may think this morning, I'm perfectly fine, and I don't need to be saved from anything. Thank you very much. Jesus had to come to the world to save you from sin, death, hell, and from you yourselves. Others of you may think, I'm such a wretch. I'm so messed up. I'm beyond saving. But Jesus was willing to come to the world to save you from your guilt, fear, despair, and horror from the holy wrath of God. He wants you. I don't know if you have heard this song, All I Want for Christmas is You. You have been through uh, any mall in the city, you know, in the past, um, what, three months or six months now, right? You will have heard that song, um, All I Want for Christmas is You by Maria uh, Carey. And that song, a few days ago, it was reported, hit a uh, 16-week at number one on Billboard Global 200 chart. Do you know that song was written only for 15 minutes, but it gives uh, Maria or Mariah Carey $3 million every year for that single song. But you know what, friends? That song should have been the song that Jesus sings to us. All I want for Christmas is you. He wants you and me to respond to him and say, Lord, here I am. I do need you because I have rejected you in the past. I have lived my life in a way that I am in control, not you. And today, this morning, I want to be a Christmas that's memorable because I return to you and hear your call. Why don't we respond like that? Let us pray.